You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's Thursday, November 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. NASA's Artemis 1 moon mission is currently underway after the SLS rocket and Orion capsule launched early Wednesday morning. The mission is expected to last until mid-December, when the capsule will splash back down in the Pacific Ocean. This mission paves the way for the return of astronauts to the moon and a new space station to be assembled in orbit there. Ramin Skiba, space writer at Wired, joins us for what to know. Next, it's been described as a game changer when it comes to weight loss, but some people who have taken it say it's changing their taste buds. Semaglutide is the key ingredient in drugs like Wegovy and Ozempic. It's helped people lose as much as 15 to 20 percent of their body weight by making you feel full and reducing cravings, but it's making some disgusted by their favorite foods. Anna Medaris, health correspondent at Insider, joins us for more. Finally, now that New York City's pay transparency law is in place, people are browsing jobs like they were browsing new homes, even if they're not in the market for a new one. As employers are now required to post salary ranges, people are dreaming of moving into something new or asking for a pay raise. Emily Peck, reporter at Axios, joins us for how job listings are the new Zillow. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Joining us now is Ramin Skiba, space writer at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Ramin. Happy to. Well, we saw NASA launch their massive space launch system rocket and the Orion capsule very early in the morning on uh, on Wednesday, Eastern time. And uh, I, had to, I have to say, I was watching it while it was happening. I, I always love a good space launch. I mean, everything seemed to go off without a hitch. Yeah. Beautiful, bright rocket just lighting up the sky and everything. Um, uh, Ramin, uh, start us off by telling us about the launch, and then we'll get into the Artemis mission overall and what this all means for the future of space travel for us again. Yeah, this was historic. I mean, this is the first time they've ever launched this kind of a rocket. It is uh, now that it has launched, it is the most powerful rocket that humans have made. And, and it's been a long time coming. You know, people have been working on this for years. And there have been a number of difficulties. You know, any, anytime you're, you're using a new spacecraft or rocket, there are going to be challenges. And then they had challenges with, you know, the liquid hydrogen uh, propellant. And then Hurricane Ian made them go back into the, the vehicle assembly building for shelter. And then when Hurricane Nicole came along, they decided to uh, weather the storm out there. There was some very minor damage, but uh, they decided it was uh, good to go. So they went ahead with this launch attempt. And so this is third time's a charm. This is, a, <laughs> right. the, this is the, the third attempt. 
and it worked uh, beautifully. So they, they were, you know, in smack dab in the middle of, of the launch window. And so, yeah, then Orion is now on its way to the moon. This is all part of the Artemis mission to take uh, astronauts back to the moon for the first time since the end of the Apollo program back in the 70s. So this is Artemis 1. There's going to be subsequent Artemis missions. And the goal really is to end up starting uh, to start setting up some type of little base kind of on the moon and, you know, obviously getting the astronauts there, too. So tell us a little bit about how long it's going to take the Orion capsule to reach the moon and what it's going to do while it's there. I mean, it depends on what, what you call at the moon, because it'll, it'll take days to, in order to get into the proper orbit. So it's going to orbit the moon, and in, including it will be the farthest a crewed, you know, crew-capable spacecraft has gone from Earth. And it will go, uh, and then, then it'll return to Earth um, in mid-December. And one thing they're watching for in particular is the heat shield, because it will coming, be coming back faster than any other crew capsule has, just by virtue of having come from farther. And so it's going to be hotter as it, as it comes through. They want to make sure that it is safe for, for humans yeah. on the next flight. And so, yeah, so Artemis 2 will be a similar kind of mission, but there will be people on board. I should also mention that Artemis 1 is enabling some science as well. It's not just a technology test. There are 10 small spacecraft that are being deployed by the upper stage rocket. Uh, and they're doing some moon-related science and then some other things too. So Artemis 2 will, will, will be humans orbiting the moon, and that will probably be in 2024. Artemis 3 will be when humans actually land on the moon again, and that will be realistically 2026. And that uh, NASA has said that that will be when the first woman and first person of color walk on the moon. So that is exciting. And it is not just for a visit. As you said, there, there's a plan to basically build a, a, a research base on the moon and also the, the, to gradually assemble a, a lunar space station, like a, a, a space station orbiting the moon. This is, is also, in a sense, sort of a technology test and sort of a way station en route to Mars. At some point, NASA wants to send uh, humans to Mars, and probably in the 2040s. The future Artemis missions will, will be, in large part, putting that the lunar space station together. So that, that's going to be really cool, too. Yeah, definitely cool. And obviously, you mentioned, right, so uh, about mid-December. I think they're thinking maybe around December 11th, you know, that next big thing is to watch for that capsule to come down. It's going to splash down in the Pacific Ocean, about 50 miles off the coast of San Diego. That should be proved to be some really uh, interesting much-watch much television if it's, uh, you know, in the right time and you know, good lighting and all that. So that'll be pretty interesting. You know, uh, yeah, that's the way working with the Navy for that. Yeah, because eventually, right, when they have the astronauts in there, they'll have to go and uh, rescue them out of that capsule when it comes. So uh, just Absolutely. a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it's really, I always love this cool space news, so it's nice to see that we're getting back out there with it. One of the other interesting things that happened, because I was watching the launch while it happened on, on NASA's uh, YouTube channel and everything, they were showing the uh, launch director, Charlie Blackwell Thompson, and she went out there and gave mm -hmm. a, a speech after and, you know, congratulated all those participating all the, on, on the team and everything. It really is a culmination of all their work. So it's very exciting times and especially for them. But she's also, you know, made some history for herself. She's NASA's first female launch director. And she did something really uh -huh. cool, really special. There's a tradition that they do for, you know, rookies, I guess, after your first launch and whatnot, they'll come around and they'll cut your tie. So she participated in that. Uh, it, was, it was just a cool little moment. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a, a moving uh, speech that she gave. And we quoted from her comments in, in our coverage at, at Wired magazine. She's been on, on, on most of these NASA press comments, you know, over these, these months, over this year. And she's done, uh, a, a led a lot of incredible effort through a lot of challenges getting this uh, rocket ready to fly. And so, yeah, and so, so, yeah, she, she had, had some, uh, you know, wonderful things to say, just sort of about how the, it's their team's place in history and that they work together to make this happen. And, and yeah, and so, yeah, so they, 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 they snipped the tie 
And I mean, I, I think it's an incredible success for NASA and, uh, you know, Kennedy Space Center and, and also for Charlie Blackwell Thompson. She, she uh, performed very well in, in that job. Ramin Skiba, space writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. The woman that I interviewed, you know, went to go pour her morning coffee after starting the drug and all of a sudden she just poured it out. She just couldn't stomach it and she'd had it every day since the seventh grade and she was 40. So <laughs> it's really changing people's daily habits and even identities. Joining us now is Anna Medeiros, health correspondent at Insider. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about uh, this game changer in weight loss right now. It's called semaglutide. It's something that you'll find in uh, diabetes drugs, Ozempic or Rebelsis. It's also in another drug called Wegovi that was approved for weight loss in some people. But we previously did a story on the podcast where it's kind of Hollywood's new weight loss drug. Everybody's trying to get it from their doctors so they can lose some quick pounds. And, you know, so more people have been trying it, but some people are finding out that it's changing their taste buds a little bit. So foods that they once loved are now not their favorite foods anymore. They're bitter or whatever the case may be. So, Anna, tell us a little bit more about what you're hearing out there. Yeah, it's a really fascinating drug. And I think it's gotten all this attention, like you mentioned, from Hollywood and other celebrities who can get it pretty easily, even with shortages. And I think a lot of people were kind of wondering, like, what's the downside? Like This seems like such a miracle drug. We've been looking for something like this for so long, and doctors have been calling it things like game changers, which experts are usually pretty conservative saying things like that. So anyway, we are learning that there, there definitely do seem to be downsides, specifically when it comes to people's you know desires for different foods and their taste buds themselves. So it's been really interesting because it's not necessarily, I think what you know intrigued me about this was not just people have a suppressed appetite, which you would expect on a drug like this, but some people are re- reporting that it's more than that. They actually, you know, will walk in to their former favorite fast food place and have to walk out because they're suddenly repulsed by the smell. Or same thing with coffee. The woman that I interviewed, you know, went to go pour her morning coffee after starting the drug and all of a sudden she just poured it out. She just couldn't stomach it and she'd had it every day since the seventh grade and she was 40. So (laughs) it's really changing people's daily habits and even identities. A lot of people have found really good progress with this when it comes to weight loss. But now when you're using it for these other purposes, right, uh, you know, for more of weight loss just specifically, you know, there really hasn't been much studies into doing that. So why do they think that it might be affecting the taste buds specifically? Yeah, there's a few theories. You mentioned a couple of them, you know, that aren't even necessarily just about the taste buds, but more just, you know, how this affects the reward system. And I previously wrote about people reporting that they suddenly weren't interested in alcohol anymore and kind of how that could potentially lead to addiction treatments. Um, with, with the same, so with the the same the, drug? Yeah, the same drug. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so it's kind of the same thing that is going on in some capacities here where, when things that used to be pleasurable to you, whether that's sugar or fat or alcohol, things that are really crafted to get a reward system in overdrive, suddenly that's kind of tamped down by this drug. And so people may be trying these foods that they used to love and all of a sudden they're not really getting that buzz, if you will, <laughs> that they used to. So they just don't go back to it. But yeah, as you mentioned, there also seems to be 
more going on where people, you know, are tasting something and all of a sudden, you know, a French fry is now bitter. Or, you know, the woman that I talked to also said, you know, she thought that Kit Kats just had the best kind of chocolate of any candy bar. And she tried one for Halloween and she just said it did not taste like a Kit Kat. And so, you know, the only one possibility here is that the, you know, taste buds actually have hormone receptors in them. And this drug interacts with the hormonal system and the specific pathway that it interacts with is found in taste cells, if you will. So the neuroscientist I talked to thought, you know, maybe there's something going on here where when you kind of mess up that pathway where your taste buds are telling your brain what tastes good or not, that can kind of get hijacked where something suddenly tastes bitter or something tastes sour that before didn't. Some of the other experts you spoke to talk about how the adjustments are emotional, right? You know, you used to love these mm-hmm. things, but as anybody knows, if you've even had a you know lap band or something, when you overeat, when you kind of let it get a, a hold of you or something, you have nausea, bloating, you know, digestive distress, and it's kind of in the same vein, right? You don't really know how it's going to affect you, and it can be pretty emotional. These these uh, changes. Yeah, I think that's what drew me to this aspect the most. Just how you know how much eating and food are a part of our daily habits and lives and do bring us a lot of pleasure, not just for the taste, but just the the rituals that surround them. And when all of a sudden you take that away, you you have a lot of free time. You maybe don't want to go hang out with your friends if that's always revolving around food. And that is leaving a lot of people feeling a sense of loss, actually. And I think the different thing here than like a lap band surgery where you actually do have to consult with psychologists ahead of time and you kind of know what you're getting into. For this drug, it's, you know, people, again, are expecting that their appetite is going to be lessened, but they're not expecting their entire, you know, life to be turned upside down and, you know, their, their morning coffee shop that they used to really enjoy and they had a regular order there, suddenly they don't want to step foot in that anymore. And so, you know, the question now is kind of how can they find ways to fill those voids that, you know, if they ever do go off the drug, because you don't necessarily want to be on this for life, but we still have to see if people can maintain this weight loss after they're off the drug and if those old tastes will return or if this is really something that, you know, now they're going to have a new way of eating for the rest of their lives. Anna Madaris, health correspondent at Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Not only to kind of fantasize about making more money or something like that, but also to get a sense of their own value. Like, how much should I be making? How much do similar workers get paid? Joining us now is Emily Peck reporter at Axios and co-writer of the Axios Markets newsletter. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Hi, happy to be here. Well, let's talk about what we're seeing right now with job listings. It's kind of becoming the new Zillow, where a lot of people are just browsing different job listings as they would real estate listings, checking to see you know, how much people are getting paid for what position, whether they're in the market for a new job or not. You know, It's kind of that whole daydreaming thing of like, oh, I wish I could move into that big house and whatnot. So people are doing that with these job listings. And it's kind of attached to what we saw in New York. They have this new pay transparency law where employers have to post salary ranges on their job listings. So we're seeing that now and people are uh, just kind of constantly checking to see what's out there. So Emily, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. So New York City just passed this law requiring companies to post salary ranges on their help wanted. So post a real number for a minimum and maximum salary for each job listed that you would have to take in New York. And so overnight, a lot of employers started putting out these numbers. So, I mean, the first thing that I did, and I know a lot of people did, is go and look up their own employer and see like, okay, how much how much are they paying people <laughs> for roles these days? You know what I mean? Right. And then, you know, I'm talking to other people who are looking not only at their own employer, but other places they might want to work, not only to kind of fantasize about making more money or something like that, but also to get a sense of their own value. Like how much should I be making? How much do similar workers get paid? Yeah. And, you know, we had seen before that, obviously, a push for pay transparency. And in this sense of it, it's kind of doing exactly what a lot of people wanted. Start those conversations so that people know what the broader ranges of pay are. Uh, Maybe it could help people negotiate better pay for themselves because they know what others are making or what at least what the range is happening. But, well, you know, one of the stories that we saw last week as, as New York was launching some of this is that some of these employers were posting like wildly huge pay ranges, you know, sometimes differences of a few hundred thousand dollars. And in that sense, people were finding it pretty difficult to say, you know, I I can't use this at all to negotiate for better pay because that broad range is just too big. The law really says, really requires employers to post ranges in good faith. So a lot of employers are stretching that to have these like huge hundred thousand dollar, two hundred thousand dollar gaps in the range, which you're absolutely right, are not super helpful. Um, Maybe at the high range, you know, for more experienced people, they give you a sense of how much you possibly could make or something like that. But the big wide ranges aren't exactly the most useful information you're going to get. And a lot of those were coming out of the healthcare sector. I know that one example that sticks in my head was a a job listing Mm -hmm. for like a trauma surgeon. You know, so already Mm -hmm. they're making a lot of money. But then again, the the amount of experience that you have and all of that, you know, that's going to boost you up a lot more. So I, I know a lot of them are coming out of the healthcare industry. And this is interesting. I didn't know this. So they say that job listings with pay information see a 30% increase in applications. That's from Indeed, the the job site told me that. I mean, the bottom line is people see salary information. They know more about what to expect and they're more likely, likely to apply for those jobs. And speaking of the range, I know from other reporting I've done on these ranges, people really only see the top number, right? So, you know, they see the top number, they think, I should make that. And then they apply. It just kind of heightens the desirability of the role. 
some of these uh, recruiters, people that uh, own some of these companies, they're saying that they're expecting a lot of reference of what these salary ranges look like for their existing employees. You know, when they're talking about getting raises or promotions or anything, they expect that this is going to be a bigger part of those conversations. Yeah, I think, um, and as we head into year end and people are, you know, going into their performance reviews, negotiating for raises, these ranges are going to come up in conversations for the people who look at them and say, wait a second, you're paying more for my role, you know, in the open market than you're paying me and that's not fair and they're really going for it. And what you said earlier is exactly right. That was the intent of this law. The tech sector, though, um, <laughs> they're not so much concerned with this, really. Uh, no. They're starting to deal with a lot of uh, layoffs at the moment, really uh, you know, slowing down the pace of any hiring, hiring freezes, whatever it is. The tech sector is just kind of in a completely different boat when it comes to this stuff. One woman said that to me in the, in the reporting. She was like, no one's really thinking about this right now. They're just trying to hold on to jobs. It's been a pretty brutal month in tech. You saw the meta layoffs, the Twitter layoffs, other well-known companies have had layoffs this month, so it's been bad. And yeah, if you're at a company where you're thinking, am I going to lose my job? You're probably not you know, negotiating the nitty gritty of your salary. These conversations are going to be starting to happen a lot more. Right now, New York has that pay transparency law, but I think California and I think it was Washington is also might have something coming on board pretty soon. So even uh, there on the West Coast, they're going to start talking about it. And, you know, the hope, obviously, for these uh, pay transparency advocates is that it, it just kind of continues throughout the country. Yeah, exactly. Um, California's law comes online in 2023, which is coming up really soon. And once you have California and New York on board, I think a lot of employers in other states are going to have to follow or employers, you know, who have workers all over the country are going to have to follow too. Emily Peck, reporter at Axios and co-writer of the Axios Markets newsletter. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.